It's been a, an incredible uh, last couple of weeks. Um, Suwan was baptized at Point McGrew. Uh, yeah. Whoa, whoa, Suwan, that was like the wave that hit you. Um, it was incredible to see Suwan. You know, when someone gets baptized, you know, it's not just, it's a process. And uh, we've, been, we've been lucky enough to, and blessed enough to have known Suwan and her family, her brother Dewan, who's up in Seattle. Uh, just the faithfulness, just to see her make Jesus Lord, just to see her transformation uh, when she first came to, to now has been absolutely astonishing. We're so proud of you, and we're, we're here for you. We love you. Uh, not just uh, Suwan, uh, but also Cindy yesterday was baptized into Christ. Uh, she's not... She's not here today because she was incredibly sick yesterday, but did not want to delay her relationship with God. And she was baptized uh, in, her, uh, in her jacuzzi there. Uh, it was an amazing, uh, again, just a transformation of Cindy when you see her. And her story was um, her, ne- her niece uh, is a disciple in the Seattle church who has reached out to at Calabasas High School by one of the Christians, Jessica Evans, now Jessica O'Connor, who got married. And she uh, was connected to that campus ministry up there, was baptized, and when she came around to visit, she brought her parents, Paul and Suzanne, who came for several months. Uh, when she heard about Paul and Suzanne coming to church, she lives here in Newbury Park, she wanted to come and check out the church, and when she came out, she absolutely loved it. She loved you. She loved you guys. And so uh, she started studying the Bible and uh, you know, putting her faith in the, in the Word of God and trusting that process, and to see her get baptized was awesome. And today, we have Isabel. You know, just uh, her mom came from the East Coast, brought her along with her. Uh, we thought she was a Christian because she was so genuinely warm and, and hospitable and encouraging. We thought, well, two Christians came out. It's awesome. And, uh, and it was just great to see the sisters connect with her uh, instead of the Bible with her. Uh, and just today, we're gonna, at 2.30, we're going to see her uh, put her relationship with God first, watch her get baptized. It's going to be amazing. So... Uh, three women, three sensational women, knowing God. It's incredible. It's really incredible. Really incredible. You know, as the holidays are coming up, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, I, I, I mean I'm just thinking about my next week. I got two turkeys to eat in two separate family settings. I got a, there's a lot of things going on. Um, in life. And this is the kind of season where, you know, you hear Christmas songs even before you've even had the turkey on 103.5. It was concerning. But you all, I already, instead of feeling peace, I felt like stress. I'm going, oh my gosh. There's so many things coming up and I feel squeezed with pressure. Squeezed going, okay, do we save enough for the Christmas shopping? Do we have enough? Uh, you know, traveling, you know, thank goodness gas prices have plummeted. Thank goodness. Man, you don't see my mama and my brother and my uncle. And uh, so this, this, this series I'm going to be doing today and for the next several weeks is called Breathing Room. And I want you to X-squeeze yourself. Things always squeeze us. So I want us to X-squeeze ourselves. Because life is better with breathing room. Life is much better with breathing room. You know, when I was growing up, my parents had this dynamic. My mom would get accumulate things, and she would store them, and my dad would go by throughout the year and throw things away. Because his philosophy was, if you have not used it in six months, 
it is garbage. So the worst part was the mail. My dad would go with thumb through the mail, and what he deemed garbage was immediately thrown into the trash can. And my mom would come running in. What did you throw away? What? She'd come digging through the trash can, finding her little, you know, you know, the, you know, the little junk mail. I was looking for this. It's a sale at Macy's. And there would be constant fights. My dad would always be throwing away things, just sneakily going into the attic, grabbing stuff and throwing it away. And my mom would be, you know, up in arms. Oh, what have you done? You know, I've done that too. The apple does not fall far from the tree. I throw things away in our house. If my rule is six months. You know, Karen has her biology books from, from college, in our, and I've been lugging those around for 14 years. She has an oats study there, a study on oats, you know. I'm sure they, you know, that you can, you can Google that now, but I still have all the boxes. And it's in my garage, and I think to myself, what if we were just to remove all the stuff we've never used in six months to, or let's just say three years. Man, my, my storage clock, uh, garage would look awesome. Would look awesome. Instead, it looks, it, it looks a lot like, a lot like that. It looks a lot like that. You know, I appreciate God and how He designed the universe. See, God designed the universe and gave us plenty of breathing room, plenty of space. You know, the Earth is 93 million miles from the sun. I love the space. You know, a little closer, we're burnt. A little farther, we freeze. You know, I love how God designed breathing room. It's, life is so much better with breathing room. You know, my dad is a minimalist, just like Jesus. He likes a clutter-free environment. When there's things laying around, my dad just starts throwing stuff away. Have you ever noticed how much space is there between planets? I like that. Who, who here is comfortable with the mess? To be honest... I know half of you guys are lying, but who here is comfortable with the mess? Okay? Who among you is a minimalist like Jesus? Who's not sure? If you're not sure, just look in the back seat of your car. That'll tell you a lot. I mean, today I found my, my, my son's socks, two pairs of shoes of mine, my hat. I'm kind of in the middle ground. It's a, it's a personality thing. This is a description of sometimes what our life can be like. There's so many things that are going on in our life that our closet or our life is messy because it's full of stuff. It's one thing for your closet to look like this. This is okay if you like that. It's another thing if your life looks like that. If your schedule looks like that. If your budget looks like that. If your relationships look like that. Somewhere in these areas, there is a breaking point. Things will break. It's not fun to watch a married couple go to the end of their emotional reserves. It's not fun. I've been there. There's nothing entertaining about a friend who's living on the edge financially... And then goes over the limits. There's nothing fun about that. There's nothing enjoyable about a schedule with no margin of error. If you get too many red lights, you're late. Stress. Where you don't enjoy what's coming next. It's one thing after another. And you're worrying about the next thing. That's how you get speeding tickets, right? 
One thing after, I'm late. I got to get there. And Mr. Popo pulls you over. You know, there's, sometimes there's too much stuff in our garage or attic or closet. That's one thing. I and mean, we can see that. You know, that's, if you just throw those jeans in and close the door, you can have, you can have guests over. But too much stuff in our schedules and in our finances is something else. Now, I would do that. That's kind of like my bedroom closet. I, I got my clothes, and then I got everybody else's storage, you know, winter clothes and, and these little Ziploc big bags. And I don't really have access to my, to get much of my pants. I got to move stuff just to get to my pants. So I, I'm lazy, so I just wear the same clothes every Sunday. I think I've worn this shirt like eight times in the last seven weeks. But it's easy, because I can just get that little black shirt. We need breathing room in our life. You know, the, the New Year's coming up. The Christmas season's coming up. It's it chaotic. It's crazy. We need breathing room. We need space. We need margin, because life is better when we have room to breathe. And here's what breathing room is. It's the space between your current pace and our limits. That's the breathing room. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, Our life... Should, should really win the respect of outsiders. He says, he says, you should live a quiet life. Be why? Because outsiders are watching you, and because your life is so good, it'll, you'll win the respect of other people. And I think that has a lot to say about breathing room, because my life looks awesome when there's breathing room. When there's no breathing room, I look frantic, Leaving my neighborhood. I'm not open there. I'm not even calm. I'm like, get in the car. We got to go. And if you're watching through the window going, that guy needs to chill out. Here's the evidence of breathing room. Arriving early. Ah. I got time early. Do you have time between appointments? You know, I'm a, I'm a great estimator of how much it's going to take me to end this appointment and get to my next. I'm fantastic at it. And I always, when Karen and I are together, that's when we fight. I'm like, I, we're going to be late. Can you, can, hurry. We're going to be late. Because I'm assuming there's traffic on the 23 and the 101 because there always is. And we get in a lot of conflict because I'm assuming for the traffic. And she's thinking like, Oh no, we have enough time. And then when reality hits, and I end up being right rarely, I end up, I'm going, I'm just sulking. Oh, I, was, I knew it. I was right. I knew it. You know what evidence of breathing room is? That you have money left over at the end of the month. You got some money. <gasps> breathing room. We have breathing room. How about when you hit an emotional bump and then you can resolve it quickly? Ah, oh, breathing room. You weren't at your wit's end. How about you're working very hard at your job, but you still have reserves in the tank for your family? Amen. Breathing room. Sometimes we work hard. We work almost too hard. We come home, we got nothing to give. Nothing to contribute. The only thing we want to do is get out of my way, feed me dinner, and give me the remote control. Because I'm ready to veg out. When there's no breathing room, three things happen. Stress levels go up. They get cranked up. That's when we get angry, we get rude, we get sarcastic. Let me scratch that. Frankly, that's when I get angry, I get rude and sarcastic. Is when stress levels go up. I know this because when I sit in traffic, my stress levels 
go up. This is why I don't live in L.A. Why is there traffic in the 805? I moved out of L.A. Here. My car insurance lowered. Simi Valley says, relax and take it slow. Why is there traffic? Stress levels go up. When your wife and kids need more money for something and there's nothing there, stress levels go up. When you feel tired and there's another event you got to go to, I'm pretty unpleasant at that, at that party. I try my hardest, but I get unpleasant because I'm already tired. And then, second thing is, we, our, our focus kind of narrows. We become a little bit myopic when stress levels go. We, th- we it is slowly the window closes, and we get focused on what's right in front of us. You know, our emotions get fo- focused. If I was standing on this little ledge here, and there was a four feet drop, and the further I'm away, I can feel I can speak to you comfortably. But the more closer I get to the edge, guess what happens? I'm thinking about the drop. I'm thinking about four feet down, I could really fall over. So I stop thinking about you, and I think about what's right in front of me. And that's life without breathing room. That's living life to the ultimate limit. And what happens is you get stressed, and your focus gets narrow. And thirdly, your relationships suffer. You can't be as efficient in your relationships when their stress levels are up. You can't um, really connect. You can't engage you know, last year I said, I'm, I'm taking off Facebook friends that I never really talked to. Deleted like 400 people. I was getting news feeds going, I met you once. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care. It was too many. I couldn't even get to what my brother, my brother was like, hey, we, hey, we did this. I'm like, it was on Facebook. I'm like, never saw it, buddy. When you have like 1,500 Facebook friends, you, you, you know, you can't even stay in touch with people. So I started reducing my friends just so I can stay in touch with people that I actually want to stay in touch with and who I actually have an ongoing relationship with. So if you're one of those people that got deleted, my apologies. <laughs> if you're living while with little margin, people have a, have a difficult time getting your undivided attention. And that happens at home sometimes. Karen doesn't get my undivided attention. You know, my cell phone would ting, ding. I put it on silent now, so it's, I, I, I don't even hear it. But if there's a ding, you know, you ever watch that movie called Up? The Up with the Old Man? Oh. Squirrel! Squirrel! Hey, my phone goes, ding, squirrel! And I, I want to go to it. I want to respond, who needs my help? Karen's like, we need your help. Stay here. No more phone for you. Running around the earth trying to keep up 100 friends puts you on the edge. You can't have that many friends. You need breathing room. You know, it's, it's an important concept. We get too tired to engage the people that we ought to engage. And no, with no emotional margins means no nurturing. There's no intimacy. You can't breathe enough to relax and say, Hey honey, how was your day? You can't even process. You're, you're, you're so high, you're on to the next. What's next? What's next? And lo and behold, you're missing out on the most critical relationships in your life, which is your family and your kids. And you're missing out because you're living on the edge. There's no margin. There's no space. It's when your kid says, Daddy, why do you always talk about money? Or Mom, 
Why are you always on your computer or cell phone? For me, that's, that's, my, that's my struggle. Honey, your body comes home, but your mind never does. You're here, but you're not present. You're here, but you're not engaged. That's what happens when you're living on the limits. You're living, you're living life with no margin. Be present. While it's true that sometimes there are things outside our control that eat up our margin, that happens. Many times, we eat up the margin ourselves. So why? Why do we drift so close to the edge? Maybe chalk it up to lack of discipline. You can say that. Uh, maybe you can say it's, it's a busy season of life. Happens once a year. Maybe, humanly speaking, hey, at the heart of the issue, what I think it is, is fear. Fear has a positive and a negative. The positive side of fear is that you feel like you're missing out on something. You feel like, I don't want to miss out on something. I don't want my children to miss out. We don't want to miss this opportunity. We, you know. And so fear drives us. But we're, gonna, we're not going to have fun. These are great opportunities for our kids. This is great. We're only going to have it for a season. And then we push our life to the limit. We add and we spend. We add and we spend. We add and we spend. And then the stress levels go up. And there's a negative side of, of fear. Fear that we're, we're, gonna, we're, fa- we're falling behind. The fear is that we're falling behind everybody else. Look at look what they're doing. Look at those people without margins are living life. We don't realize that. But they have no margins. Look what they're doing. Why can't we be like that? They look like Christians more than we do. And we get into this comparison trap. We start to compare our experiences with their experiences. And their kids. And their possessions. And their progress. What if my kids don't excel academically or, or athletically? We start having the fear of that. What if, what if we don't drive the, the safest van? What if we don't live in this neighborhood? What if we don't vacation at that place? What if we don't retire with this much money? And then there's fear. There's a negative side. It drives us to the edge. Some guys, it's it's fear of not mattering. Because our egos. Fear of lacking significance. If I don't live on the edge, I won't get as much done. That's what sometimes I feel like. It needs to get done. We've got to live on the edge a little bit. I'm not going to amount to anything if I don't do this. I won't be the top in my industry. I won't lead my industry. And I remember a counseling appointment that I had with one of the elders. He says, do not fail at your most important relationships. Do not fail at the most important relationships, your wife and your kids. Do not fail there. And that has stuck with me. Don't fail there. You can fail everywhere else, but don't fail there. Appreciate those words. You know, in James 1, in verse 13... God gives us this, this, this insight into who we are. He says that God does not tempt us. God does not tempt you or me. Rather, when we're tempted, we're dragged away by our own 
evil desires. So God's not tempting you, look, there's a sale and do all this and get all crazy. God's not tempting us. We're not saying, it's God, you know, He's calling me to do all these things. No. This is where God wants you. <laughs> See that? Now that's a closet. I mean, that right there. There's some sisters right now that are like, that's my closet. That's how I live my life. See how you have extra hangers? You got breathing room? Shoes are lined up. You know, you have the little baskets, things, things inside. Everything, everything has a proper place. It's awesome. Life is good. But our own evil desires creep in. It's us. And they entice us. And it says it leads us to sin. Because we're so enticed. We want to live on the edge. We want to have that little more. We want to, we want to live beyond our margins. And so we, we miss out. We have this life instead of that life. And that's the life. When you look at it going, that makes total sense. We should all live like that. Absolutely it does. And, and, and my point of this series is that breathing room is a part of God's design and therefore part of His plan for you to have breathing room. And when God established the nation of Israel, when they were enslaved by Egypt, and they, Moses led them out, he, they, they became a nation. And what God did when they started their nation, He gave them certain rules so they would live their life with breathing room. He actually inserted it into their laws so there would be breathing room. But obeying laws meant that people had to trust God. And we see this in the New Testament. First thing that we notice in the Old Testament is that God established a Sabbath, a day off. Amen. No longer working seven days, living at the edge. You will now work only six, and then the seventh day, you will do nothing but rest. And Jesus said that Sabbath was for the man, just to rest. In a world with no refrigeration, this was risky. In a world where there's always things to do, this is risky. He says, I want you to have a margin. I want you to have breathing room. You need a day just to relax for yourself and your family. A day of not getting anything done. Imagine that. I think of a day of Netflix. <laughs> Popcorn. Popcorn. Netflix. I mean, because when we get a day off, what do we really think? Oh, now i got to go do this. Oh, now i got to go do this. No, 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 no. And God is saying, do nothing. Amen. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> go to bed in your pajamas and hang out in pajamas all day. Yeah. Get the mail in your pajamas. <laughs> Eat dinner with your pajamas. Do nothing. Just relax. Chillax. The times when I do this, I experience more joy, more peace, and more productivity. A second thing we see in the Old Testament, we set it up, he says to tithe the 10%. Don't accumulate 100%. Live within 90. And the 10% they stored. They lived in a financial margin too. Their finances were out to the extreme where one, one, one destruction of an appliance could throw us over the edge. And sometimes we're praying that our dishwashers don't break. 
We're praying that our refrigerator doesn't blow a trans- transformer. But please, please water heater, stay good for another two years. We don't live within a margin. And the third one was, there was this, call, this law called the law of gleaning. And I'm going to read it to you. So there's a Sabbath day, a day off, there's a tithe for the financial margin, and then there's this law of gleaning. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, um, when you reap the harvest of your land, because it was an agricultural society, do not reap to the very edges of your fields or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. But what if, what if we, we run out? What, what? Don't go back and glean. Leave it. Don't harvest all the way to the edge. Leave yourself a margin. I am the Lord, your God. Trust me. Amen. The purpose of that, the margin in this case, was to think about other people. When you're living within a margin, you can be generous. You don't have to worry about getting every single, I gotta pick everything up. Hey, leave it. Leave it. There are some things that need to be left, God says. I am the Lord. And then the second generation comes up of God's people. And look what He says to them. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord, your God, may bless your hands. So if we don't do all we can, you're going to multiply the work we did too? Yeah. Amen. Trust me. We get crazy and want to get everything because we don't trust God will ultimately provide. That God will not bless us. We don't get everything. He says, oh no, I will. God will bless the work of your hands. He'll multiply it. And the same thing is found in the New Testament. And Jesus says this about, about the teachings about what, why we worry. So don't worry about, don't worry and start saying to yourself, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But first seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Trust me. Your willingness to create a breathing space is an exercise in your faith. Trust me. Here's the thing. Pagans run after these things. These next two months, the world wants you to be like a pagan. Shop here. It starts right for the day the turkey's eaten. You celebrate turkey pilgrims, and then it's Black Friday. If you don't get into that discount, if you don't get that deal, you're a fool. You're a moron. You've got to get in there. And I started thinking, why do they advance Christmas sales so far in advance? Because it's hard to make money off a of turkey. 
They want you for something else. They want to brainwash you to live your life on the edge. You've got to have it. I need it. See, the question is, are you, going to, are you going to really live your life within limits? Either the cultural will, will put you to the edge, or your Heavenly Father will lead you to a place of margin, where you got some space. What's at stake? Is peace, not progress. Peace. Sometimes when I confront people on their schedules, I get, well, you don't understand. I don't have the luxury of a margin. It's the nature of what I do. People defend living on the edge. Then there's a health scare. There's a tragedy. There's a bump in the marriage. And suddenly, surprisingly, they have time. When their wife says, I want a divorce, wait a minute, we'll make some time. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's so amazing how much time they have when their marriage is in crisis. It's amazing how unimportant gymnastics or baseball or soccer is when a man and wife are in the middle of a crisis. It's amazing how we're not going to be at practice tonight. We need some help. Or maybe there's a financial hiccup that's coming on the way. It's amazing what people can live without when you're forced to. (laughs) We did it. We have one TV. I don't know what happened. We did it. We don't have an Apple computer. I don't know. It's amazing. When there's a financial hiccup, what you can live without. Now, I'm not suggesting that you be not productive and go home and stay in your pajamas all week long. I want you to be as productive as you can possibly be within the margins God has established. You'll be more productive and you'll enjoy your life as well. In our attempts to get the most out of life, we run the risk of losing control of our life. And that's the danger when you live on the edge. That's the danger. So I have some homework for you. I have a homework question. If you're married, I want you and your wife to discuss this together and come together with a unified decision. If you're single, I want you to look in the mirror, have a cup of coffee and talk to yourself. (laughs) Have a conversation with yourself. Because that's when you can truly see, okay, this is where I'm at. The question is, where do you need some breathing room? And it's an exercise and a muscle of faith that maybe you haven't put much effort in. But I can tell you, as a man who decided to go to the gym finally after 15 years of... I'm in there. And I got some breathing room. Because my attitude was like, I can't go to the gym. I have no time for the gym. As my belly was reaching the poison of muffin top. Because to me it wasn't... I didn't have time for it. Who has time to go to the gym? There's stuff to do. There's sermons to write. There's appointments to get. There's things to do constantly. I thought the same thing about going on a date with my wife once a week. That's impossible. We're married. (laughs) And I I made breathing room in our marriage 
And it's been going awesome. I made breathing room to make myself go to the gym. And then I got home the next couple of days and I couldn't move. Because you know how I am. When I go to the gym, I was like, it's all or nothing, baby. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. So like a fool, I do that. And come home and I'm, I'm just like paralyzed. And now, I go to the gym three times a week and I like it. I like running on that silly treadmill. I joined a gym where they have a movie theater where you can run your treadmill and watch a movie at the same time. That was my... I switched gyms for that. And when I canceled my membership, I don't like to tell them why because I don't like... you know. It's like, don't worry, don't ask me any questions. I just want to quit. No, they, they're like, we want to know why. Fine, you want to know why? They got a theater and you don't. That's right, I am shallow. But that's how I get it done. That's what I do. And so this, this experience now... I'm healthy. I feel at peace. I feel productive. I feel like I have more energy. It's actually done the opposite of what I thought it would do. Take away my time, my precious time. And now it gives me the the spirit and the ability of peace of mind. So where do you need some breathing room? Married couples, where do you need it? Relationally? Is it financially? Where do you need it spiritually? Answer that question. For me, for next week, as we continue our series on breathing room. Thanks so much.